Section thirty two of the Freedman's Book by Lydia Maria Child. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Frederick Douglass, Part One by L. Maria Child. Captain Anthony owned two or three farms on the eastern shore of Maryland and held about thirty slaves. One of them, a black woman named Betsy, married a free man named Isaac Bailey, and they had a numerous family of children all of whom were, of course, slaves to Captain Anthony. When she became an old widow she lived in a hut separate from the other slaves, and was principally employed in nursing troops of babies, which her children brought into the world for the benefit of their master. Somewhere about the year 1817, Harriet, the youngest of her five daughters, gave birth to a boy, on whom she bestowed the high-sounding name of Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey. As she cannot be spared from field work, baby Frederick joined the band of little slaves that were under his grandmother's care. Her hut was made of logs, with no windows, a clay floor, and a mud chimney. But the children were as well satisfied with it as if it had been a palace. They were too young to know that they were slaves, and they were as happy as little wild animals. They imitated the noises made by cats, dogs, pigs, and barnyard fowls, and rolled over and over on the ground, laughing at their own fun. If the mud or dust made them uncomfortable, they walked into the river without undressing, for the short-toe skirt, which was their only garment, was washed by swimming, and soon dried in the sunshine. There was a wood close by and it was one of their greatest pleasures to watch the squirrels as they frisked about, or sat on the stumps eating nuts. Near the hut was a well, with its beam placed between the boughs of an old tree, and so well balanced that the children could easily help themselves to water. Down in a valley not far off was a water-mill, where people went to get their corn ground. It was capital sport to play at fishing in the mill-pond, with thread-lines and hooks made of bent pins, and they were never tired of seeing the big wheel turn round, throwing off great drops of water that sparkled in the sunshine. They lived mostly on corn-mush, which they ate from a big wooden tray, with oyster-shells for spoons. But they were as healthy as little pigs, and enjoyed their coarse food as well. The greatest of their blessings was their good grandmother, who nursed them kindly and did all she could to make them happy. They loved her dearly, and when she was obliged to leave them for a short time, they greeted her return with merry shouts. She was advanced in years, and the hair that peeped from under the folds of her turban was very gray. But she was remarkably strong for her age, straight in her figure, and quick in her motions. She was very expert at catching fish, and sometimes spent half the day in the water. She also made excellent nets to catch shad and herring, and as these nets sold extremely well, Captain Anthony still found the old slave profitable. She had the name of being born to good luck, because whatever business she undertook prospered in her hands. She raised such excellent sweet potatoes that people often sent for her to plant for them, saying, if Grandma Betty touches them, they'll be sure to flourish. But the secret of her good luck was her intelligence and carefulness. When she dug potatoes, she took pains not to cut or bruise them, and in winter she protected them from frost in a hole under her hearth. 
Freddy's poor mother was not allowed the comfort of being with her child. She was led out to work in the fields twelve miles off. Whenever she went to see her little boy, she had to walk over all those miles twice in the night-time, after a hard day's work, for if she was not back in the field by sunrise, she was severely whipped. Freddy saw her but four or five times, and never by daylight. Sometimes she would lie down beside him and talk to him till he fell asleep, but when he woke she was always gone. He always remembered that she once took him on her knee and gave him a cake in the shape of a heart. Her rare visits made such an impression on him that he never forgot her personal appearance. She was tall and finely proportioned, with regular features and a deep black glossy complexion. Her manners were very sedate, her countenance downcast, and her eyes very sad. When he was nearly seven years old, she died. But he knew nothing about it till long afterward. In later years he heard that she could read, and that she was the only one of all the slaves in the neighborhood who possessed that advantage. He never discovered how she had learned. When she died he was too young to have heard anything from her lips concerning his father. He was always told that he was the son of a white man, and some whispered the name of his master. But he never knew who was his father, and could only conjecture why the eyes of his poor mother had such a sad expression. Captain Anthony did not carry on any of his own farms. He employed overseers for that purpose, and, however cruelly the slaves might be treated by the overseers, they never could obtain any protection by applying to the old master, as they called him. All the interest he took in them was to have as much work as possible forced out of them, and to sell one every year to add to his income. He himself managed the affairs of Colonel Lloyd, a wealthy gentleman with numerous plantations and a thousand slaves. His home plantation on the River Miles, where he resided with his family, was about twelve miles from the hut where Frederick had been nursed. His manager, Captain Anthony, lived in a house on the same plantation, and was personally a stranger to his own little slaves. But the children had seen and heard of things which made the name of the old master a terror to them. Frederick's first great trouble was when he discovered that he was a slave, and that as soon as he was big enough to work, he would have to go to old master. Nothing could exceed his dread of leaving the dear old home, and being separated from the kind friend of his childhood. When he was about eight years old, Captain Anthony sent for him, but his grandmother kept it a secret, knowing how it would frighten him. One bright summer morning she told him she was going to Colonel Lloyd's plantation, and invited him to go with her. He had a curiosity to see the grand place, of which he had heard so much. So she took him by the hand and led him away from the happy home of his childhood, to which he never returned. She carefully concealed from him how her heart was swelling, and her tender ways did not lead him to suspect it. When the unconscious little boy began to be overcome with fatigue, she toted him on her strong shoulders. She scarcely seemed to feel the burden, and insisted upon carrying him a long way, but he felt too much of a man to permit it. He was, however, a little afraid as they walked through the thick, dark woods, for sometimes the old knotted and gnarled stumps, when seen from a distance, 
look like creatures with eyes and legs and he kept a tight hold of her gown till the monstrous things were safely passed it was afternoon before they reached the famous home plantation of colonel lloyd there he found everything very different from the solitude and poverty to which he had been accustomed the plantation seemed like a village there were so many large houses and stables and outbuildings and mechanic shops and such a long row of huts for the slaves quarters children were shouting and singing and a great many men and women were hoeing in the fields the children came crowding around frederick and asked him to go and play with them he looked in his grandmother's face and seeing that she seemed very sad he began to suspect that he was going to live with the old master he was unwilling to lose sight of her for a moment but she patted him on the head and said be a good boy and go play with the children that one is your brother perry that is your sister sarah and that is your sister eliza he had heard of these brothers and sisters before but he had never seen them and they seemed like strangers he kept close to his grandmother but at last she persuaded him to follow the children to the back part of the house he felt so shy that he stood leaning against the wall looking on while the others played after a while a little boy who had been left in the kitchen ran up to him exclaiming bed bed grandmammy's gone he rushed after her and when he found that she was gone far out of sight he threw himself on the ground and sobbed his brothers and sisters brought him peaches and pears but he flung them away and continued sobbing till overcome with sorrow and fatigue he fell into a deep sleep as captain lloyd's plantation was not near any town the barrels wheels shoes and cloth that were needed by the numerous slaves were manufactured by themselves large crops of grain and tobacco were raised and shipped for baltimore all the business of twenty or thirty other farms was transacted at this plantation which was distinguished by the name of the great house farm and as captain anthony was overseer of all the overseers he was kept very busy all the time he took no notice of freddy at first but when told who the newcomer was he patted him on the head and said you are my little indian boy occasionally when he met him he would speak affectionately to him but he was a violent-tempered man and freddy soon learned to watch him closely when he saw him coming if he was shaking his head or muttering to himself he hastened to get out of his way lest he should catch a blow without knowing what it was for the slave children had no one to care for them but cross katie the cook who cuffed them about and kept all except her own children in such a half-starved condition that freddy often had a tussle with the dogs and cats for the bones that were thrown to them summer and winter they had no clothing but a coarse toe shirt that reached to the knees they were provided with two a year and if they wore out before allowance day came round they went naked they slept anywhere on the floor without covering freddy suffered much from cold his naked feet were cracked open in great gashes in the winter when he could get a chance he would creep into the meal bag at night so much for the care taken of their bodies and it fared no better with their souls all the instruction they received was from uncle isaac a crippled slave who being unable to work 
taught the children to say the Lord's Prayer after him by rote, and switched them whenever they made a mistake. But Freddy was at an age to bear privations and troubles lightly, and to enjoy thoughtlessly whatever pleasant things came in his way. He had never seen anything so grand as the great house, in which Colonel Lloyd resided. It was a large white building, with piazza and columns in front, surrounded by arbors and grain-houses and turkey-houses and pigeon-houses, interspersed with grand old trees. There was an extensive lawn, kept as smooth as velvet, and ornamented with flowering shrubs. The carriage road to and from the house made a circle round the lawn, and was paved with white pebbles from the beach. Outside of this enclosed space were extensive parks, where rabbits, deer, and other wild animals frisked about. Flocks of red-winged blackbirds made the trees look gay, and filled the air with melody. Vessels on their way to Baltimore were continually in sight, and a sloop belonging to Colonel Lloyd lay in the river, with its pretty little boat bobbing about in the sparkling water. There was a windmill not far off, and the little slaves were never tired of watching the great wings go whirling round. There was a creek to swim in, and crabs and clams and oysters to be got by wading and digging and raking for them. Freddy was glad enough to catch them when he had a chance, for he never had half enough to eat. He had one friend at the great house. Daniel Lloyd, the colonel's youngest son, liked to have him assist in his sports. He protected him when bigger boys wanted to make war upon him, and sometimes he gave him a cake. Captain Anthony's family consisted of a son, Andrew, and a daughter, Lucretia, who had married Captain Thomas Ald. Mrs. Lucretia took a fancy to bright little Freddy. She liked to hear him sing, and often spoke a kind word to him. This emboldened him so much that when he was very hungry he would go and sing under the window where she sat at work, and she would generally give him a piece of bread, sometimes with butter on it. That was a great treat for a boy who was fed all the time on corn-mush, and could not get half enough of that. His business was to clean the front yard, to keep fowls out of the garden, to drive the cows home from pasture, and to run of errands. He had a good deal of time to play with his little relatives, and with the young slaves at Colonel Lloyd's, who called him Captain Anthony Fed. He was such a mere boy that it is no wonder so many new people and things soon cured him of homesickness for his grandmother, who could very seldom get time to trudge twelve miles to see him. But though his slave life was not without gleams of enjoyment, he saw and heard much that was painful. At one time he would see Colonel Lloyd compel a faithful old slave get down upon his knees to be flogged for not keeping the hair of his horses sufficiently smooth. At another time the overseer would shoot a slave dead for refusing to come up to be whipped. Ever and anon some of them were sold to Georgia slave-traders, and there was weeping and wailing in the families they left behind on the premises of his own master he was not unfrequently wakened in the night by the screams and groans of slaves who were being lashed one of captain anthony's slaves named esther was the sister of freddy's mother she had a pretty face and a graceful shape she and a handsome young slave of colonel lloyd's were much attached and wished to marry 
but her old master, for reasons of his own, forbade her to see her lover, and if he suspected them of meeting, he would abuse the poor girl in a most shocking manner. Freddy was too young at the time to understand the full significance of this cruel treatment, but when he thought of it in after years, it explained to him why his poor mother had always looked so downcast and sad. As for himself, he managed to escape very severe punishment, though Captain Anthony not unfrequently whipped him for some carelessness or mischief. But when he saw the plantation laborers, even of so rich a man as Colonel Lloyd, driven out to toil from early morning to dusk, shivering in the cold winds, or dripping with rain, with no covering but a few coarse tow-rags, he could not help thinking that such was likely to be his fate when he was older. Young as he was, he had a great dread of being a field-hand. Therefore he was rejoiced when Mrs. Lucretia told him he was to be sent to Baltimore, to live with her husband's brother, Mr. Hugh Auld. She told him if he would make himself very clean, she would give him a pair of new trousers. The prospect of exchanging his little toe-shirt for new trousers delighted him so much that he was ready to scrub his skin off to obtain them. He was, moreover, very eager to see Baltimore, for slaves who had been there told fine stories about the grand houses and the multitude of ships. He had been only two years at Captain Anthony's, and he had formed no attachment so strong as that he had felt for his old grandmother. It was with a joyful heart that he went forth to view the wonders of the city. When he arrived in Baltimore, his new mistress met him at the door with a pleasant smile. She said to her son, "'There's little Freddy, who has come to take care of you.' And to him she said, "'You must be kind to little Tommy.' Mrs. Sophia Auld had earned her own living before her marriage, and she had not yet acquired the ways of slaveholders toward servants. While her own little Tommy was on her knee, Freddy was often seated by her side, and sometimes her soft hand would rest upon his head in a kind motherly way. He had never been treated so since he left his good old grandmother. In a very short time he loved her with all his heart, and was eager to do anything to please her. It was his business to go of errands and take care of Tommy. The boys became as much attached to each other as if they were brothers. There was nothing to remind Freddy of being a slave. He had plenty of wholesome food to eat, clean clothes to wear, and a good straw bed with warm covering. Mrs. Auld was much in the habit of singing hymns and reading the Bible aloud, and Freddy, who was not at all afraid of Miss Sophie, as he called her, said to her one day that he wished she would teach him to read. She consented, and he was so quick at learning that he was soon able to spell small words. His kind mistress was so much pleased with his progress that she told her husband about it, and remarked with much satisfaction that Freddy would soon be able to read the Bible. Mr. Auld was displeased, and forbade her giving any more lessons. "'It is contrary to law to teach a nigger to read,' said he. "'It is unsafe.' and can only lead to mischief. If you teach him to read the Bible, it will make him discontented, and there will be no keeping him. Next thing, he will be wanting to learn to write, and then he'll be running away with himself. This was said in the presence of Freddy, 
and it set his active mind to thinking. He had often before wondered why black children were born to be slaves, and now he heard his master say that if he learned to read it would spoil him for a slave. He resolved that he would learn to read. He carried a spelling-book in his pocket when he went to Varens, and persuaded some of the white boys who played with him to give him a lesson now and then. He was soon able to read. With some money that he earned for himself, he bought a book called the Columbian Orator. It contained many speeches about liberty. The reading of them made him discontented. He was no longer light-hearted and full of fun. He became thoughtful and serious. When he played with white boys, he would ask, Why haven't I as good a right to be free and go where I please, as you have? And sometimes the generous-hearted boy would answer, I believe, Fred, you have just as good a right to be free as I have. End of Frederick Douglass, Part One. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman.